and welcome. It's Freeform Friday, and you're with the dice are screaming. Oh, oh that's angry dice. <laughs> oh, is there a reason why the dice the, are just angry? The strong mad of dice. Oh, dark. <laughs> you just keep doing you, big guy. You just keep doing you. Oh no, it's good to be back. Oh, it is indeed Freeform Friday. Yeah, uh, it's you know. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful day out. The the heat has worn away somewhat, and I think we're all uh, thoroughly enjoying this perfect August weather. Yep, uh, school's going to be starting around here, so I guess, so that's a big thing. Probably, I remember, uh, we'll take a little sidetrack into our own youth. When this came about, this usually resulted in several overnighters during the weekday. Yeah, packing in as much gaming as possible because the party was almost over. You know, yeah, the, the the free weekends, the late nights, all of those were shot to heck, and it was back to the drudgery uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, horror yeah. that we referred to as high school. Uh, uh, but you uh, know, we we have lots. Of, high school is just bad romance and worse lunch. We had a lot of good memories of those uh, last minute overnights where we would try to cram in as much as we could and of course it would drive our uh, parents and grandparents nuts but it was all for fun and uh, a lot of good memories from that oh yeah I, it, hey and it's not like gaming was the only thing we did as a group nope uh, you know remembering the jump rope for heart yep. uh, and of course the raft race with build your own raft uh, which capsized like three times yeah, That's all right. well, you know, maybe the milk jug theory was not the finest theory we could have gone with, but we might also have secured them in a more permanent fashion. I yeah, guess. yeah. Uh, not, not our finest hour, but hey, we went down swinging like gangbusters. We we had a great time. So, <laughs> literally up the creek with no paddles. Mm. All right, so yeah, not our greatest planning moment. But uh, we got some topic for you. We've got a nice rant lined up. Uh, we're yeah. Just gonna, we've been doing a little bit of call-ins to some of the people that have uh, been kind enough to leave us some messages. Not hostile or obscene ones. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are terrible. I haven't heard two people uh, when I, words more than you two idiots. When, when I hear things like that, I just sit and listen quietly, breathing heavily. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> but I'm always like, yeah, but you have heard of us. <laughs> you may be the worst podcast out there, but you still listen to us. Well, thank you. Yeah, that that very Johnny Depp, uh, you know, Captain Jack. Mm. <laughs> the worst pirate I have ever heard of. But you have heard of me. So. Mm. <laughs> I should be proud to be that terrible a pirate. But we'll get into our uh, topic and a rant in just a few. So stick around. We're just going to turn it over and do our advertisements and be right back with you for Freeform Friday. And we're back, so thanks for sticking around. Uh, of course, uh, joining us here is me and Mike just doing our thing, what we do on Friday, which is just talk about nonsense and gibberish. <laughs> and uh, Welcome to Mellow Talk 92. Mike and Randy in the morning, mm. where two mellow guys talk about mellow things and just stay mellow. Mellow. No, I don't think so. Yeah. No, not my style. Uh, die every radio station in the 70s. <laughs> the entire half of the AM dial can just go up in flames for my money. 
Oh. <laughs> WWE just starts its broadcasting day. Woo-wee! Ah. <laughs> oh, no. No. Oh, we, we loved uh, radio stations in our youth, but uh, they have kind of worn a little format heavy these days, haven't mm-hmm. they? It's a little predictable. Yep, but uh, here on Anchor, we're able to do our format our way. And, of course, just like that little advertisement that we give, we're going to be doing a new one here. So Yeah, we've got a new one coming up soon. Oh, you should be seeing that debut next week. Yeah. So we're looking forward to that. A little change of pace. Yeah, so we're going to get right into it then. So usually we bring a topic to ramble on about, and uh, whether that's Topic Tuesday or Freeform Friday. But we're going to talk about Kickstarters, since that's a big thing lately. And Yeah, uh, Kickstarter and gaming. I mean, it's a relationship made in heaven. It sure is. Or hell. Depends on how you've experienced it, okay? It could go either way on this. But it's a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. And Kickstarter really lets people get their ideas out and lets people invest into them if they're interested or, you know, ignore them if not, of course. But uh, more importantly, a lot of Kickstarter tragedy stories start with the very first premise that you want this thing to be out in the open and released into the marketplace, fully formed and ready to go, and nothing is really done. And I think that's where most of the tragedy starts. So we're going to kind of just back away from that a little bit. We're going to touch on it as we move through this. But that's one of the big pitfalls that people, when you hear Kickstarters, uh, some people roll their eyes. Oh, I got burned on this one. Well, yeah, we'll cover those more in depth. But also, so many (laughs) great things have come out of Kickstarter. Just a friend uh, Monday came up uh, to our Monday game and... uh, he just got his. He just got back from his uh, trip to Spain, where he went on that long uh, pilgrimage. Oh yes, to the Pyrenees, and uh, he actually got a certificate from. But I digress. But waiting for him that Monday, just so, as he got home. So wait, wait. Are you saying he's now certifiable? Very much so. Yes, Matthew Schneider. <laughs> we love you, Matt. No worries. Just you are it. certifiable. I got to grab my cheap shots where I can. <laughs> um. He found on his doorstep just as he was getting ready to go the Trogdor board game, which was funded completely on Kickstarter. Oh, Trogdor! And of course, that's when you know we had the strong, mad opener because strong one of the mad. icons that you can, uh, the little meeples that you have for Trogdor, you can just use the old. If you're familiar with uh, Strong Mad, Strong Bad, his uh, older brother, and very angry and strong older brother was uh, when they were doing a dragon contest, drawing contest, he was just etching into the uh, wooden table with the <laughs> exacto knife, a badly spelled Dargon. But, uh, yeah, that arrived uh, in good order, and, yeah. you know, it, w- it was an impressive piece of work. They did nice, you know, craftsmanship. Uh, yeah, the final on the stretch product. goals, you could have the little meeples, and the one for Strong Mad was a little square with the carbon symbols of oh, Dargon. Oh. Oh, for those who are not board gaming uh Regulars, uh, meeples would prefer to be tiny figurines that you move about the board. Yeah, uh, you know those of those meeples, who have played tokens. Yeah, those who have played Carcassonne uh, or some of the other board games that involve meeples will know what that means. But no, uh, it's an impressive piece of work. It was quality material. They did a nice job, and they met not only their requirements but all of the Came extra goals. Uh, and I, I want to. Before we get to the topic of individuals trying out Kickstarter for the first time, I want to say it's been a real boon to gaming, 
because there are a lot of small gaming companies. Okay, these are not like multimillionaires mm -hmm. sitting in palatial estates and meeting in boardrooms. Uh, these are people who have like one office uh, and, you know, a bunch of technical equipment. And then they do a lot of work from home and at their computers. Uh, and they, they make a decent living doing this, but they ain't rich. Spoilers. That's 99% of game companies out Bingo. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So here you have Kickstarter. Uh, and even a successful game company finds it daunting to lay up a very large amount of cash to start a brand new project, to get it to print, to get it distributed. Uh, this can be pretty burdensome. So their liquidity is all bound up in getting their new product out. Uh, and if anything goes wrong, they're sunk. That's it. Yep. Goodbye, game company, and hello, opportunity for somebody else to step up to the plate and try their hand at it. Uh, people do it because of love, for the most part. So, you know, a lot of people have crashed and burned. Then comes Kickstarter, and here's a way to take a product that you've developed. And if you're not quite sure you can get this to market safely, like without bankrupting yourself, you can get the backing you need via Kickstarter, and that prevents you from experiencing that total loss of liquidity and that massive risk. Mm -hmm. you, you make as many as you need. Uh, you deliver as many as were ordered. No more, no less. Uh, or with like just a little leftover. And that's brilliant. I mean, the opportunities that that has made available for trustworthy hardworking game makers and designers to get products to market, oh, that's fantastic. It's an outstanding development. Yeah, and it comes with a lot of benefits. And sometimes <laughs> success can be a burden of its own. Ah, success is as difficult as failure. Uh, yes. Um, like Steve Jackson did uh, the Ogre relaunch. Now, Ogre, for those who don't know, is a little uh, micro-game for about five bucks, you got a little board and some cardboard counters that you cut out, and all the rules you needed to play. And Ogre wasn't uh, about a smelly brute in a cave. This was a far, well, not far future, but near future, let's just say, in the 21st century, war game simulation of autonomous, intelligent fighting platforms called OGRE, which, you know, you can look that an acronym up, versus the hapless pan-Europeans trying to oppose them in small hovercraft and ineffectual infantry. <laughs> so you had one where well, the player was this almost uh, omnipotent, unkillable, and unstoppable war machine, and the other player was the person with all these disparate forces trying to rally them to put together. Now, all that aside, that's how it started. It was for five bucks, and it was a big thing, and it blew up, and over the years, it was very popular. It got its own box set, and then uh, even in the GURP supplement, it had its own setting. Um, long story short, it went out of print in the late 80s, 90s. Kind of interest waned. But Steve Jackson Games decided to start a Kickstarter, and they put it up there, and they funded like a million and a half dollars, just far exceeding anything they ever expected. So then he had to not only meet the stretch goals, but then the company as itself figured with this much influx, they could really bring a product for the ages, like a what they called the final version of the game. <laughs> and it was in this huge... They've gone Super Saiyan. This is their final form. Yep. 
So it was going to be open well over 11. They were trying to crank it up to 22. But long story short, that million dollars, while it was well uh, funded, and they had everything they needed to get the game out to market. I mean, they didn't have to go and redo the rules that much. Um, they tidied them up a bit. But the playing pieces were 3D constructible models that you could use with cardboard, and then you would store them in the storage trays. This became a logistical nightmare as... Trying to fit everything into this large box. The box got bigger and bigger. The board got bigger and bigger. And then, well, you know, they're almost not getting going to get any money off of it. But they fulfilled it. They actually had to take out a little bit of a loan and get it to market. But lessons were learned. And the, the point here is, is that Kickstarters can sometimes grow beyond their initial target investment. Be, just due to the... A wild amount of funding that can just pour in because there's no limit. And that leads to the temptation for overreach. Like, if you've got a good idea and it's, like, in the bag, all ready to go, uh, expanding upon it in too ridiculous a way can put the developer, the company, uh, you know, the project itself at risk. So, yeah, that was you know, advice to, to those out there, you know, it, who may someday be involved in a large-scale Kickstarter operation... Uh, don't go for overreach. Deliver a good thing, and people will be happy. Yeah, and they funded, uh, oh, geez, the Fantasy Trip. They just uh, funded that a while ago and got that out to backers. I was kind of interested in it, but I was like, oh, you know, I need another fantasy role-playing game. Like, I need a hole in my head. <laughs> well, wait, yeah. But, um... <laughs> Prepare for trepanation. Because <laughs> this is totally happening. I mean, I played it back in the day, uh, kind of, and it made a lot more sense than D&D, but uh, it also was highly complex, and it just, you know, I was just kind of used at that point in time, just swing and miss of D&D. You know, you either hit or miss, no parry rules or anything like that. That's what I had RuneQuest for in Stormbringer, so... Um, but to get back on course here, Kickstarters can uh, easily uh, run amok. And a lot of designers, they have a product in mind, and they want to bring it out, and they want to get entice people to put more money in with stretch goals. Like you get a, um, instead of just getting the main rulebook of a game, you get a leather-bound rulebook. Yeah, going one step beyond. And it, it's kind of tiers of access, so that there's like the... Hey, you got ten bucks in on this, you know, you get the basic. You got twenty bucks in on this, you get the, you know, golden package. You got fifty bucks in on this or more, uh, you get the platinum. Oh uh, yeah, I think you need to raise your numbers a bit higher, but yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm oh, doing yeah. this for the sake of rough average, you know. Yeah, they, once you get about some, a lot of them get into the two, three hundred dollar range where you get the leatherette version plus special set of dice or something like that, warm all the way up leatherette. to warm. Leatherette. I'm going to send a gift to anybody who can name the song in the band. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know you were going on that one, but hey, that's a nice segue. Like Warm that. Leatherette. Warm Leatherette. Yeah, you can get a uh, Leatherette version and all this uh, stuff, and then probably throw a t-shirt and a poster and some bells and whistles, even special, you know, doodads. All the way up to some of them might seem like 10,000, like you're... The ultimate backer, they'll run a session for you. You know, it's like super fan mode. And surprisingly, people do it. So, hey, man, you know, the thing with Kickstarter is it gets your message out there. And, of course, there are many failures, too. There's a lot of games that uh, have a lot of excitement. 
and you know the developer just completely folded you know they didn't have anything prepared they collapsed under the weight of what the project turned into uh, and it, that's probably a good point for us to segue into things for even smaller people like uh, individuals attempting to kickstart something new like if you're not a major company Maybe you've got an idea for something awesome that is, you know, in the gaming industry and you, you really want to get the backing to make it a real thing. Uh, let's let's launch into stuff you ought to know. Well, <laughs> we're not veterans of the Kickstarter. No, uh, no. By any means. And I've never uh, put anything out on Kickstarter primarily because I'm pretty happy with what comes out the pipeline as it is. But I've worked with uh, a few companies... Um, I had the Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls uh, edition, which was going to be their forever edition. And, um, you know, Tunnels and Trolls, if you know about it, is kind of the first game that came out after D&D. And it pretty much aped a lot of the ideas of D&D, but then took it in a new uh, and brand new way. Uh, with a different type of attitude. With um, It's like you looked at D&D and you just basically came out with some new... Ways to do things like hit dice. Well, what do hit dice mean? Well, you, you must roll these dice to hit them. Okay. But uh, Tunnels and Trolls grew a long way, and they really brung it out into a fully fleshed out game. But what ended up happening was is that one of the editors ended up burning her hand very badly, got third-degree burns, and you know required some therapy and hospitalization before she was able to get back in to the game. And she was also one of the big artists. Well, now that brings through. us to like point number one. Uh, right out of the gate. Uh, with, if you're a person who doesn't have the backing of a company and doesn't have a lot of experience creating games and doesn't have a reputation, uh, you're going to have to build some trust. So, number one first piece of advice, have your mostly finished product ready. I mean, at the very worst, you should probably only have editing left to be done. Uh, yeah, artwork and stuff like that can be added. And to just go on with the where I was going to lead in with that little story about the Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls, it ended up hitting several delays. And Flying Buffalo Incorporated, is FBI, is not the biggest game company out there. But, but they but, are old, established, and remembered by many gamers with great fondness. Yeah, so they already had a proven product that didn't yeah. need any verification or like, well, I don't know if this idea will work. Well, hey, you know, a lot of people played it. People remembered it. They're obviously going to back it, and it was well funded. But it ran into several problems, including smart work problems. But they all solved that in time. And the reason why, again, we go back communication. Now that would be they were two. number one to tell you, like, hey, this project's going to be delayed. While our editor and um, artist is going to be sidelined for a little bit, we're going to take over some of the duties and send them to other people so it can get finished on time. And, you know, they got more artwork and I met all the stretch goals with little uh, magnets to give away that I still have hanging on my refrigerator. And uh, Yeah, communicate, blog, podcast, whatever it is that your medium is, including announcements on Kickstarter itself. Keep putting forward, not preferably even visual proof, uh, photographic uh, images or announcements of where a project is at. Because even if you have the material almost finished... And the last stages are going through editing, going to press, adding new art, uh, you know, what the final cover is going to look like, those kinds of things. Uh, share it with people. It lets them know where things are at. Silence 
breeds nothing but oh, contempt boy. and distrust. Mm. Uh, and, you know, do not, uh, no matter how cruel the internet may be, fall prey to the urge to blow your stack. Yeah, uh, don't fight back. Because that signals people that, like, oh, God, they're panicking. This project is doomed. There's no way we're getting our money back now. Uh, you know, then the internet hate machine mm -hmm. really fires up into high gear. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, communications would be, you know, the the second major undertaking. But if you're just starting out in Kickstarter, I guess from where I sit, the best advice is just what Mike said. is just, you know, come out with, make sure you're done. Your product is... Pretty much the last thing you need to do is formatting and editing because you don't know where the artwork's going to go and you need some of that Kickstarter money to get the artist paid or at least uh, get them started on the project with payment. And also, the other big thing that's happened over a period of time that I've noticed is, well, the internet covers the entire freaking globe. And so you have people all over the place putting in money to your hat and shipping them a project, a product of well, you know, like Trogdor or Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls, which is a pretty hefty book. Yeah, if you've overseas, ever sent a large package uh, to the opposite end of the earth, it is no cakewalk, okay? Yeah, so make sure that you have plenty of war funds set aside to cover that cost of shipping because nothing will cause you to have personal and financial difficulties reaching those. And I've seen a few Kickstarters that have been fulfilled, but it impoverished their creators because now, they had to ship overseas. That's where I bring up point number three. I mean, and I do this in order of importance. I mean, to me, number one out of the gate was to have finished product. Yes. Number two was communications. Number three to me is research. Okay. Having a firm approximate idea of the weight and size of the package would be one thing. That would be something that you would need to know beforehand when you set the base price for entry. Because if people are paying 20 bucks for something and it costs you 18 to ship it, uh, wow, you are getting soaked. Now, if you know that it's going to take you roughly $18 to ship every single one of these things uh, most of the time, and a few of them might be more, like, you know, 30 bucks for mm -hmm. going somewhere to Europe, uh, 40 bucks to send it to Asia. Yeah, if you know and you can set a baseline average and just say, okay, at least 25 bucks of the base entry level commitment has got to be for my shipping, then you can make decisions to plan for that. And the other research would be knowing how something gets made. How does a book go yeah, from that's nothing a to a book? How does uh, a comic book get formed? How does a a module get published? How does a, a statuette get made? Mm -hmm. Those are the things you need to research first. And if you can, reach out to other Kickstarters. You know, take a look at those products, follow the chain of supply, figure out how they did it. Uh, learn. And if you learn first, you will not be blindsided so cruelly by some of the many things that can go wrong completely legitimately and make it very tough. Right, and some Kickstarters go tremendously smooth, like uh, Steve Jackson's uh, Fantasy Trip when they released that. They hit just a few snags in uh, production that everything in life happens to. Just unforeseen events. But these were not lengthy period of time right. at all. Uh -huh. Right, there were just a few snags, but it went unbelievably smooth for them. And so 
that one was really well funded. And of course, we say jokingly that they're in palatial estates with you know, <laughs> air conditioned offices. Uh, uh, the doghouse is made out of platinum. Steve Jackson game still is smarting even 30 years afterwards. Well, it's coming up on 30 years where they were raided by the Secret Service. Ah, uh, uh, yes, because of Illuminati. No, uh, Cyberpunk. Oh, Cyberpunk. They thought they were hackers. Uh, and, yeah. You know, uh, this led to the ridiculous spectacle. Uh, ridiculous and yet vaguely awesome spectacle of FBI or agents, Secret Service. Uh, sorry, Secret Service agents sitting down to play a game of Cyberpunk so that yeah, they understood the system inside and out. Uh, and learning from it. That to get their, it took them like three years to get all their stuff back. And the judge, when they yeah. finally got to court, uh, actually um, slapped around the uh, Secret Service for slipshod warrants and barely legal seizures. Yeah, uh, a great deal of their materials were seized on the spot, uh, in which they were then refused access to most of it for a very lengthy period of time. Uh, <laughs> uh, and in, in spite of the fact that the relationship became somewhat more amiable after uh, chastened agents were humbled by a judge, uh, <laughs> it still makes for a very awkward moment there. But. Yeah, but those guys, I mean, after that, I mean, anything can happen to you other than the roof falling in on you. Also, and you would just feel like, hey, everything is still okay. But your cool factor among nerds just went up by like a thousand percent. You know, like, yeah. You well, got Scully and Mulder by the Secret Service? Dude! Yeah, but, well, actually, I think, um, it's, let's see, it was March 1st in 1990. Was so, that Yeah, so we're coming up on the anniversary, so we'll have to write that down on the calendar. Anyway, back, getting out of the weeds and getting back yeah, on. Yeah, 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 pulling the, pulling the vehicle uh, back uh, out of off-road mode. Just <laughs> get it out of four-wheel drive and, and, and put it back on the road now. Uh, yeah, Kickstarters, um, you know, the great thing is that it allows people with little capital to get a great product out to a large number of people. And, you know, sometimes the best things are literally just, you know, small Kickstarters for $30, $40 for um, a stack of T-shirts that you're making. And you just need the investiture of 40 bucks and you know you tell people like hey you pay for the shipping after the kickstarter gets funded yeah I, these are simpler concepts these are you know they, if, if you have a brilliant idea that you think is just funny and like engaging that people are gonna grab it yeah i do that with uh frostbeard he gives uh he does a lot of kickstarters for shirts and he doesn't have really any stretch goals other than you know uh secret colors like dude you get a shirt so. Yeah, but, you know, you throw uh, $30 in there, and, you know, if you're in the U.S., you get pretty much free shipping out of that, and if you're overseas, then, yeah, he states on there that, hey, well, you have to pay for shipping, but, you know. Well, sure, I mean, USPS first class is pretty reasonably priced for lightweight items, so. But, yeah, you know, he has, like, um, you know, it just it's pretty much, he's ready to go, he already has the concept, he already has a printer, and a silk screening uh, process automated so it's all ready to just fly out the door as soon as he gets the money in hand so you know there's a lot of things dice too i've seen uh, some kickstarters go belly up uh, because their custom dice is a big thing right now a lot of people mixing uh specific resins and acrylics to create some 
<clears throat> pardon me, some outstanding dice. I mean, oh. just dazzling in their beauty. And, and it, it's become gamer swag of epic proportions. And it always was, okay? Dice were always important. You know, like, just having cool dice is like a point of pride for practically every player and every DM ever. Mm-hmm. But they've done amazing things in the last decade. Uh, and it's all led up to, like, this last couple of years where... It's it's become a powerhouse of Vogue status to have classy-looking dice. And a lot of these guys, they just try to do it all at once. And resin carrying, I can tell you from having worked in different mediums in artistry, you have to have a vacuum set up <laughs> to cure the resin in because you need to suck all the air out. Otherwise, there'll be little bubbles. And sometimes you want little bubbles, okay? But most of the time, you don't. And if you don't also, if you're in a hurry and you're rushing this out the door, if the resin's not cured and somebody's rolling those dice and that stuff pops out and, you know, you got chips and soda around and people's fingers get in and it's pretty toxic. So, ooh, yeah, I see that go up and uh, in flames and, you know, now refunds have to be given, and, but the money's already spent. What do you do? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Doggone. I didn't know about that. Yeah, they didn't care them properly, and they were rolling and funny, and then somebody just started rolling it and rolling it, trying to see what was going on. They could feel like a little sway in it, I guess, and there was objects put into the dice. I guess it was like a goldfish-type day. And they rolled it, and it cracked open, and the stuff spewed out. Wow. They didn't care it right. And, you know, the outer shell is fine, and you just look at it, yeah, it handles a little bit of, it handles some rough treatment. But over a period of time... Instead, it has a molten core like the planet. Yeah, and you got to give that stuff... you got to make sure your mix is right. I mean, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So, again, if you're producing a physical object, a lot more care goes into that. You probably should know what you're doing. That's kind of just... They were trying to hastily yeah. do it and get Falls it out the under the heading of research. you got to know what it is that you're getting into making. Because the idea may be great. But the, the physical reality of it might be challenging to achieve. Knowing the costs uh, ahead of time yeah, insulates you. Yeah, and also, you know, the number one thing in role-playing, I guess, where we really are hitting the head, the nail on the head, or trying to somehow, or busting our thumbs open then while we're doing it, is number one thing that usually happens with Kickstarters that get a lot of funding and attention that fail is the person did not have actually anything done. And so now the kick, the Kickstarter's closed, the money's come in, and you don't have anything done. Yeah. There's that's... a couple Kickstarters out there, and I'm not going to name them because Mike didn't want to get into that, but they've yep. been eight years past due. Eight years. Yeah. No, you're not going to see it. There are comparatively few instances like this. So I, I want to say that in defense of Kickstarter right. as a notion. This is unusual for Kickstarter. Most of the time, things work out reasonably well. Some of the time, it works out amazingly well. Sometimes it doesn't work out perfect, but it works. But there are some instances where you've got to say caveat emptor because there have been people that they may very well have been well intentioned at the beginning. But uh, money solved all their problems for a while, and they were busy enjoying a life of solved problems instead of really doubling down on finishing the product that caused this money to come into being. And then they find themselves in that truly unenviable position 
of being indebted to, you know, literally thousands upon thousands of people uh, and on the hook to Kickstarter to come up with something that, you know, you're going to have to start meeting something sometime. And some of a few of these worst case scenarios have dragged out into years long epics uh, that have made everybody involved with them unhappy. So that's something to watch out for. And I, I would say that the biggest warning would be, you know, have they ever put out product before? Uh, yeah, that's kind of the one thing about Kickstarter is, is I don't think that it, the caveat emptor with the buyer beware applies pretty well to almost anything you do with finances when money's involved. But with Kickstarter, you are taking a chance. And so as well as the per producer, but sometimes you're going to see people who have never really done anything on their own. And they are, um, are usually, and I'm going to say this, just like uh, Mike's um, summary there was, most of the time, it may it still works out in the end. Things get published and product get delivered into the backer's hands. Sometimes there's refunds or there's a little bit of drama. But, hey, you know, it all works out in the end. Just everybody needed to be a little patient and kinder at times. And that probably could have benefited everyone involved. However, I will say this. Probably there's about, I can put on one hand, Kickstarters I've seen that have turned into horror shows. Okay, that's a fair, you know. For I mean, role-playing games, I mean, there's other ones. That... When you consider the thousands of things that are done on Kickstarter every year, that's that's a really good track record. So I, I really don't want to tell people I mean, to be underconfident. That goes with role, most, mostly role-playing games that I've seen. Um, other things, I've seen a guy, uh, he YouTubed it. He got a comic book. He was very uh, big on the interwebs. Uh, his comic book was in immensely popular. He decided to publish a compilation, had a Kickstarter, had numerous delays, never showed anybody any work, and was pretty much antagonistic to anybody asking questions. Like, you're going to get it, just be patient. And turned into, uh, go kill yourself. Yeah. So he took the entire product and burned it on YouTube in a bonfire. Well, you know, what we assume was the product. You know. Oh, but he showed, took it right out there, flipped to the pages. Oh, wow. Yeah, he had it delivered, had the proofs, he showed his receipt online. Yep, but I'm not going to ship it to you here because you just pissed me off. So, that guy, he get, did get uh, his day in court. Um, no, he didn't get put in prison, but uh, he's probably not ever going to be able to do anything from Yeah, Kickstarter, Kickstarter is probably not going to welcome him back anytime soon. Yeah, so. there's some other ones that I'm more judgmental about. Uh, Indiegogo is another crowdfunder. That uh, has a lower bar, and I'm not trying to say that, that they're terrible people or anything like that, but they're a little looser with some of the rules, because once you commit to Kickstarter, you're committed. Well, after the uh, it ends, you have to request, you go through a process to request a refund, okay? And that can take a little bit. Uh, usually just a process of a few short weeks if the uh, uh, producer of the item isn't being a complete jerk. And uh, that's using a mild word. Um, two, you know, six months of litigation through Kickstarter's legal department. They can take that long. But Indiegogo, if it doesn't fund, nobody gets charged. Wow. So that's the big thing is that, you know, if you go to Indiegogo, it may be a little uh, wilder and looser. But you better have your ducks in a row when you come up to this because you get one shot or one swing at the ball. And if you miss it. You're done there, too. So some people have burned bridges, and some people prefer to use Indiegogo because they have uh, looser standards with 
what they have to come up with. And Kickstarter has improved its process a lot to ask people, especially newcomers to the Kickstarter scene, do you, do you have something already prepared? And if your answer is, well, I'm going to work on it as the development phase goes through because it's a kind of a organic work that needs a lot of different materials. I need to have art and I need to have maps made and I need to have these things made and put together. Kickstarter's like, nah, 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 we're not going to... Why don't you come back to us when you're most of the way through that process? Yeah, um, you know, try something else. And uh, so Indiegogo's like, hey, well, you got a product? You got an idea? Well, all right, we'll fund it. But, you know, if it doesn't uh, reach uh, its main goals, it doesn't get funded and nobody gets uh, charged. Very good, and that's more like it, because uh, those of us who have been around the haunting the, haunting the interwebs for many a year... Uh, remember the Wild West-esque days uh, where things started. Mm. And it was a lot freer and looser at the time. Yeah, you could get burned fairly easily. Yeah. Uh, things have greatly improved. Yeah, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, all right. I, I'm a little bit more trepid about things funded through Indiegogo, simply because a lot of times, um, well, if you couldn't hack it with Kickstarter, maybe I shouldn't be looking to back your item through something that just says, hey, I've gotten an idea and I need some money to get it off the ground. Uh, yeah, that caveat emptor really hits hard with me there. Yeah, but you know what you're getting into. Right. So, yeah, kudos to them for at least putting it right on the face of it that, you know, there's a chance you're just going to get your money back and nothing happened. You know, nothing gained, nothing lost. Um, and you may wind up being disappointed by the results a lot, but, hey, they told you right up front and, you know, they zeroed it out. Nobody gets charged. Right. Uh, so... Uh, the worst case scenarios aren't quite as bad. Uh, you know, obviously, nobody wants the scenarios where oh. you're dragging on year after year. Uh, unlike a acquaintance of ours who got dragged into something owed largely to a trusting nature, uh, and you know they they had a moderate degree of gamer fame. Uh, we're not naming names, but right, uh, we don't want to get into that. They, they got pulled into a situation where they truly believed that something amazing was going to come out of this and that a product licensed by their small in-house publishing company was was going to make a big splash and just really uh, kick things up a notch. And they were, they were really looking forward to where this was going to go. Uh, and it's not that no work at all got done, uh, but... The grandiose plans got out of hand very quickly. Uh, yeah, it was like, what, $380,000, almost half a million. You know, it was closer to a half a million than it was farther away from it. And the end result, uh, you know, that overreach really bit them in the butt. Uh, and they weren't the ones responsible for the overreach. The, or the person orchestrating the this yeah. got way out of hand at some point and wound up with a very small amount of theoretical product uh, in exchange for what had been a lot of time and a lot of money. Uh, so, you know, we feel very badly for those who have Yeah, and like that. we said it earlier, you can put that on one hand. Yeah, I, I can name it's them. one of those rare worst-case scenarios. And I, I reiterate that principally because uh, in so many other respects, Kickstarter has been this well of yeah. opportunity for games and gaming, and it's consistently gotten things off the ground for small companies everywhere. Yeah, and it really helps small publishers and first-time publishers who have product already in hand and ready to go. And they if you had a that. successful Kickstarter and you're a nobody, 
um, then you've just kind of opened the doors to having the bragging rights to, you know, shop your name around to the people who are somebodies. You know? Yeah, I've seen, it, um, there's a couple people I follow on Twitter that have just started their Kickstarter and they've never published anything in their lives. But they have everything they did that. First thing is have their product done. Yeah, they, they have, everything is past the rough draft stage. It's into the, you know, uh, finished form some post editing, you know, maybe putting some little font changes, you know. Yeah, you know, you get some new fantastic artwork from yeah. cool cats that, you know, just like, oh, wow, I'd be happy to do this project, you know, or, or buy Count into me it. in, you know. That, that is a good arrangement. And, you know, the more water floats, more boats. You know, money does uh, help get people off the ground or raise them up in the harbor as you'd like to, whatever analogy suits you best. But, yeah, Kickstarter is a great thing, and I think, more to the point, we're really back to the days when we first started getting into gaming in that late 70s, early 80s, where you just see crazy product come out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. Just like three Art guys. Art more. I mean, like, that was published on old uh, the old uh, white box stuff, Ethos, you know, these little bronze hand-stapled books at first. And they got out to a convention and got into people's hands and they went nuts over them. You know, it was, Art Wind Gomorrah was like a... Like a heavy metal dream fueled by Saturday morning sugar rush cartoons. I mean, just crazy <laughs> stuff in it. And people love that more, you know, brutal aspect that it had. And I don't want to be too death clocky on that one. But yeah, brutal. It was, well, it was great about Ardwood Gamar. It was brutal. It was brutal. It had a lot of gore. It had a lot of TNA. It was not afraid to basically come up with very gory decapitation and disembowelment hits. I mean, you would literally have, you know, like, you would roll the The maiming chart. Yeah, it was just incredibly uh, intense and Visceral, with real viscera. Yeah. So, (laughs) So, you know... No, uh... But, you know, they, they were able to do it back then because that was the kind of time it was. Now... Nowadays, you know, you couldn't do stuff like that, not the content or anything like that, but I'm just saying that now with Kickstarter, if you wanted to do, uh, and it was mostly the OSR that uh, really hit the Kickstarter hard, they got a lot of product out very quickly because first they well they followed those first two rules. Yeah, they had it done, and <laughs> number two, they communicated what they were up to, let people know where it was at, and then number three, they had done the research. Many of them were like lifetime gamers who understood gaming and gaming products. They they knew, yeah, what, they did. A lot they knew of those, what materials they were going to be in on. Yeah, a lot of those did run into some trouble with that early part of the Kickstarter where they hadn't factored in like a guy from Tanzania is gonna order my uh gaming book. Wow. Uh that's like fifty bucks. Yeah. That, uh how do I do this? Uh you know, and some people would like, hey could you uh, you know you'll meet me halfway on this like send some money and then I'll look at it. And yeah, maybe there's some ruffled feathers, but it still got done. And that's, you know, that's really where we've benefited the most in this hobby is I think Kickstarter has brung it up a notch. And of course, Wizards, Paizo, they don't need a lot of Kickstarters. I just got a Kickstarter from Paizo, the Sioni statuette, which was done also hand-in-hand with uh, Diamond Enter- or Dynamite Entertainment to produce, because uh, they've been doing the comics for Pathfinder. And I got it just the other day. And uh, it's... I, I mean, it, uh, I thought it was going to be a lot smaller. When they said 12 inches, I was like, oh, you know, it's going to be about a foot. It's about that big. And it's huge. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, it, robust uh, quality material. Yeah. Holding together well. 
Oh, yeah, it's full resin. Shipped cleanly? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, it was well-packed. Bravo. That, uh, if you look at my Twitter page uh, on uh, Death Hand, at Death Hand Gaming, you can see uh, my cats enjoyed the, the box this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a present in there for the kitties, too. So Cats then, not included. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was the same when my parents got a refrigerator. Except it wasn't cats, it was us. The kids. Yeah. So we were, uh, yeah, in box heaven. Yay. All right, but I think we... I, yeah, we whiled away some time. Yeah, we, we, we rambled okay. on this. We were able to just do what we do best, is ramble on. We talked about crazy stuff for Steve Jackson, which we'll bring up some other time coming up in March. Yeah, we ought to, we ought to do a Steve Jackson, uh, you know, tribute. Let's do it like a Zapruder film. Dream into that. <laughs> you know, you know. Give it, give it the full-on conspiratorial mode. <laughs> but all right, uh, we've abused your eardrums enough, so we're going to wrap it up here. So uh, thanks for sticking around. And again, as always, if you have any comments, questions, concerns, you can get a hold of us on our Facebook page, The Dice of Streaming, as well as follow us both on Facebook there and on Twitter at uh, Death and Gaming. And Magi Box. Yeah, let us know what you think, what you'd like to hear, what you didn't like, and probably what we shouldn't talk about. So... With that, without further ado, enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you Tuesday. So, may the the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya!